This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guest today is Jeff Johnson from AARP Florida. Did you know that more than 48 million Americans help take care of parents, spouses, grandparents, and other adult loved ones so they can live independently for as long as possible? I happen to be one person that did that years ago before my parents passed away. Jeff is here to talk to us about some of the needs that caregivers have. So Jeff, good morning to you, first of all. Good morning. Thanks for having me on, Deacon Mike. Thanks for joining us. You are from AARP Florida. Can you tell us what is AARP, first of all, and how does the national group compare with the state group? Yeah, you betcha. So AARP, a lot of people know by our former name, American Association of Retired Persons. It's a membership organization for people 50 and over. That is a nonpartisan, nonprofit advocate on behalf of older adults. And so AARP is a national organization. I'm the state director, which means I'm responsible for what we do in the state of Florida around connecting members and, frankly, anybody in the general public with resources that would help them live their best lives as they age or take care of loved ones. And then the other part of what we do is is a nonpartisan advocacy voice in Tallahassee. And so we have a team of volunteers and staff who will work in Tallahassee to make sure that legislators know about priorities that are really important to older adults. One of the issues that I mentioned before is children caring for parents and grandparents. How big of an issue is that in the state of Florida? It's huge. I think the numbers are pretty significant. It's about 2.8 million Floridians right now who are giving care. And what we've discovered from surveys in the past is once you ask people have you done this in the past for a parent or another loved one? Or do you plan to do it in the future? Are you looking down the road and realizing that mom and dad are getting older? It comes to more like 70% of Floridians who either have been, are, or expect to be family caregivers. And what's interesting about this is you think about all the work that we do around parents raising children, and it's a very public thing. There's parties and there's classes and there's lots of resources for new parents and they need that. Don't get me wrong. I've been there. But there's none of that for those who are taking care of an aging parent. And it's often deep into a conversation with somebody, whether they be the CEO of a major corporation or there's somebody who is just making do that it comes out that one of the stressors that they don't even think to mention because they feel like they're the only ones doing this is having to balance everything else in their lives with taking care of somebody who may be disabled or aging. You mentioned the word stressors. And as somebody who lived through taking care of a parent, actually two parents, the stress level is immense. Does AARP do anything to help caregivers deal with the stresses? That's a great question. I wish we could do more. I will tell you that AARP has a lot of resources, tips, support groups available through the website, arp.org caregiving, and you'll see a lot there. There's a lot of the stress that I've experienced that comes from a lack of information of what's available. And so that's, that's an area that we focus on. We also have a very active Facebook caregiving group that what we've discovered over time is that when you try to hold in-person groups, which I think that probably some of the parishes in this diocese do, 
it's tough for people to get away. So having even a virtual presence is helpful. And then the other thing that we've done recently in the Tampa Bay area is partner with the 211 organization so that people who call 211, who often may be calling about something else, if they find out that one of the things they're dealing with is is uh, family caregiving, they can connect them to some of the resources we have, as well as local agencies like the area agencies on aging here, so that they can get more direct help. How does AARP work with state lawmakers to address some of these issues? I think one of the things that we realize is that while this is a very partisan world that we live in, Caregiving is an issue that cuts across political ideologies. It doesn't really matter whether you're super conservative or super liberal or somewhere in between. Taking care of mom and dad is an issue that comes up. A couple of things that the state can do to help or hurt that we really focus on. One is ensuring that for those who need more help than they can provide at home, that we have safe, high-quality nursing homes that not only protect the basic safety of residents, but also really helps them live as independently, as wholly as they possibly can. And then the flip side of that is there are state programs available that help people stay independent at home, which is usually what people would prefer, both family members and the care recipient themselves, and is also, frankly, more effective and efficient for the state rather than helping support those nursing homes. And so trying to encourage lawmakers to look at how do we put more money into that home and community-based care that is so important and for which, unfortunately, there are some really long waiting lists, while at the same time making sure that when we need nursing homes that they're high quality, that, that people can rest easy knowing that their loved one is in good hands. Can you describe some of the things that sons and daughters have to do for their parents as they age? Sure. And I know you've been through this and it runs a gamut, right? So on the one hand, sometimes it's just a matter of dealing with a lot of phone calls every day about how do we do this? How do we do that? A lot of times it's being the intermediary with a doctor or medical providers. Sometimes it's making sure that they're on a medication regimen that's been prescribed to them to make sure they're taking their pills every day. A lot of times it's giving people rides to the doctor, giving people rides to the grocery store, or sometimes to go play cards or whatever they do for social engagement. And then sometimes it's more intensive than that. Sometimes it's managing their finances or even helping them get in and out of bed or go to the bathroom every day. And that hands-on work is something that there are trained professionals to do. And for the rest of us who haven't been through that training, it's really easy to hurt ourselves while we're trying to take care of an aging loved one. And so it's a wide range. And I think often one of the things that we hit as a challenge is that people don't recognize what they're doing is a thing, that caregiving is an activity. They just think it's, look, I'm just being a good dog or just being a good son, just being a good spouse. And so that helps close them off to the world of information and resources and other people going through the same things that are out there. You're being a good daughter and a good son, but you also have to keep your own sanity, which is important as well. So if you're out there listening to this, you have to care for yourself as well. That's important. Absolutely. One of the things that I think we've heard a lot, and there are a couple of books out there about this too, that you know, when you ride on a plane and you're riding with somebody who needs help, usually it's a small child, the flight attendant will say, make sure to put your mask on first because you have to take in your oxygen before you can take care of the person next to you. Same is true for caregiving, that if caregivers don't take care of their own physical, mental, spiritual, emotional health, that which is very hard to do, then they eventually are not able to provide the care they want for their loved ones. And sadly, so often what we see is, especially with couples, 
an, an aging marriage, the one who is providing the care ends up succumbing to health issues that are even worse and needs more care because they've been trying to do it all. So trying to help people figure out the ways that work for them to keep themselves strong, whether it, again, it's physically strong or emotionally strong through strong relationships outside of the caregiving experience or giving them respite, just giving them a chance to take a break. Kind of like, again, with kids, we think about the mom's morning out type programs. You need this for caregiving for adults as well. And a lot of times people just don't think about that until it's too late. One of the things my parents did when they were alive and of sound mind was they set up important legal documents, including health proxies and power of attorney. Does AARP help people set those things up? Great question. Yeah, we have some basic information on that website, arpu.org slash caregiving. And at the same time, we recognize that every family has to work through the specifics of those different legal documents. And highly recommend that people consult with an attorney just to make sure that what their wishes are as a family are reflected in the documents that they have. We're really fortunate in the Tampa Bay area because one of the best elder law programs in the country is at Stetson College of Law at Gulfport. So what you'll find is that there are a number of good providers, good attorneys who specialize in this stuff out there. And I think if you're not sure where to go, I frankly will usually go to the folks at Stetson and say, hey, do you have any alums in the area who you would recommend? So if you're a son or a daughter and you're hearing this interview today, what do you do? Your parents are aging. What is step number one to try and prepare for those tough days ahead? I think the first thing is to recognize that you're not doing this alone, because I honestly, from talking to many family caregivers and having gone through it myself, that that is one of the biggest things that provides that stress. So the resources that we have, there's really relatively simple workbook called Prepare to Care that you could get on that website or calling 211 talk to any number of people who I didn't even recommend the book or tell them about the book. And they come to me and say, I just want you to know, I don't know what else you guys do at ARP, but this book is really, really helpful. And it's free to anybody who wants it. You can download a digital version or get one mailed to you. It walks you through all of those different decision points, all of those different steps that may or may not be applicable in your case. But I think what I've found is that when people feel like they have the ability to control the parts of this that they can control, the better off they are. And then the second thing I'd say is find support. It may be people who you know have been through this. I know that that's often really comforting. It may be that your church or your parish has a support group, which is a wonderful thing, though it's kind of rare, I know. And in this case, while I tend to believe that in-person, real-life communications and relationships are critically important, if it's a Facebook group, it's a Facebook group, because I also recognize that for many of the people we're talking about, they're balancing this against their careers and taking care of often young children. And those are three full-time jobs in one. You mentioned groups in parishes, and I'm actually thinking here, in my own parish, I have seen where people will reach out for help in a particular ministry that they belong to, and people come out of the woodwork. So that really is a great source for help. Yeah, it goes back to that point that this is the part of life that is not public one. It is so broadly experienced, and yet none of us talk about it. So to your point, it may not be a specific group that is a caregiver support group. It could just be a Bible study or a men's group or a women's group. But there's a pretty good chance, given what we know, that if you ask for help, people will come out of the woodwork who've been through the same things. They can show you, here's how I manage medications, or here's the hack I learned. Everybody does it a little bit differently, but my goodness, you know, learn from others. 
We're talking with Jeff Johnson from AARP Florida. So Jeff, in a previous life, you worked for the Rays, and I know this is a complete aside, but I'm curious what you think of the 2023 Tampa Bay Rays. Boy, talk about a team that has had to deal with the highs and the lows of baseball. I mean, historic start and then just the adversity that they've been through. The number of pitchers that they've lost for an entire season is something else. And I should say, too, that this is there's a Spirit FM angle to this. So I worked for the Rays right after their first season. They were not good at that point. This was the era of the hit show, Vinny Castilla and Fred McGriff and Jose Canseco and Greg Vaughn and not a whole lot else. And so to see what this franchise has become is really interesting. I got to ARP because one of my accounts was an ARP night at the ballpark. And my point of contact with the state office at the time happened to be at St. Paul's in St. Pete, where I also worship. And we ran into each other at a training or a Bible study or something along those lines. And she said, hey, we got a job at ARP. And it's kind of like what you do with the Rays. And so started a 25-year journey over here. I still root for the Rays. They're definitely my favorite team. It has been really kind of wonderful to see the evolution of the franchise such that there are now kids who grew up following the Rays. Uh, You know, in year two, that wasn't the case for anybody. So that's been really neat to see. And the one other thing I'll say, too, one of the things you learn working in sports and you also learn it working in politics is that there is a temptation we all have to think of the folks who are on a big stage as being somehow special or different. And the reality is they go through the same life as everybody else. And I think that there's a temptation for a hero worship that makes them a little bit idols. And so it's been interesting to see whenever the glimpses of humanity come out. And there are some examples across the board on every team like that, because it's just a collection of human beings, just like is true in any other office. Very true. Back to business. What are some of the other things that AARP Florida does? We do a lot around trying to help people avoid frauds and scams. I mean, that it's something that tends to happen more, or at least the older you are, the more often you are targeted by scammers. Also have found over time, Florida tends to be a place where for whatever reason, there are lots of people who are working and trying to scam you out of your money. And there are things that you could do to protect yourself. And so we do a lot of community education around that. And then in the legislature, we work a lot around trying to keep affordable what we can keep affordable. So, for instance, the state regulates utilities. And so we work on how do we make sure that any changes to utilities laws affect consumers in as positive or at least as less negative as possible. And then we do a lot around trying to educate people around disaster preparedness and response, because you have so many folks, as you know, who have come here from somewhere else and didn't have to worry about hurricanes in Ohio or New York or wherever they were before and may not necessarily know the steps that you can take to prepare yourself in advance or to help recover afterwards. How about the cost of prescription drugs? As you get older, the more drugs you will probably need. So when ARP was founded back in 1958, one of the things that really motivated our founder was the high cost of prescription drugs. And here we are still. We've had some relative good news that we hope will lead to better news at both the state and the federal level. So last year, Congress, for the first time, authorized the ability for Medicare to negotiate drug prices the way the Veterans Administration does. And that process is just beginning to ramp up. And we believe that for those with really common and expensive drugs who are covered by Medicare, this could be helpful over time. At the same time, we've worked with the state legislature and Governor DeSantis on a couple of initiatives to try to lower drug prices through the state's ability to negotiate as well as through working on how to build more transparency into the system so that you kind of know where the money is going. 
and our hope is that those pieces together over time will lead to lower drug prices. But you're absolutely right. It continues to be a real challenge. What really is a concern that can keep you up at nights is when you know people are trying to balance what of these things do I cut between rent or homeowner's insurance or prescription drugs or utility costs? And you know the answer is none of those are good answers. The reality is that anytime we see people who are having a cutback on their prescriptions, it's almost certainly not boding well for their health over the long term. How can someone find out more about AARP and specifically caregiving? The easiest thing to do, go into our website and go to aarp.org slash caregiving. If you're not somebody who's web savvy, call 211. In the Tampa Bay area, we're working with the 211s to provide family caregiving resources. And so they've got access to all of the ARP resources. And then you can also call our office. We're at 866-595-7678. That's a toll-free number that connects you with the Florida office, which happens to be based in St. Petersburg. And so we'll do our best to try to help as well. Really just hope that folks who are caregivers can take this message and recognize that what they're doing, we all know is hard and it's something that you shouldn't have to do alone. Amen to that. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate it. Jeff Johnson has been our guest today from AARP Florida. This is How We See It. You're listening to How We See It, a look at issues and ministries that are having an impact in our community and world. If you missed any of today's program, you'll find a copy on Spirit FM SoundCloud page. There's a link to it at myspiritfm.com. Now, back to our program. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guests today are Kevin Stamper. Kevin is the Director of Development, and Tina Villanueva, she's the Development Outreach Specialist. They are from LSF, and they are here to talk about a Christmas Angel toy drive. So good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning. Thanks for having us. The holiday season is upon us. Christmas Angels gift drive is kicking off. So tell us about the drive. Who are you helping and how are you helping them? LSF is a statewide nonprofit that serves the most at-risk and vulnerable youth in our community. We serve about one in 50 Floridians. And so we have a massive reach, a very wide reach of the state, but a very deep impact on a lot of lives. And so we're grateful for that. And so children are one of our main focuses. We really focus on creating healthy children, strong families, vibrant communities. And that starts with having kids that have experiences, have the things that they need to not just survive, but to thrive. Christmas is a great time to show them what that looks like, isn't it? Like it's the best time to give hope and to give joy to some kids. And so there's no better way to do that, but give them some gifts. And so this drive started a few years ago with our team deciding we needed to do more for the kids that are in our foster care systems, again, at-risk teens or youth, and dealing with kids that are even coming from refugee services, things like that as well. So we wanted to make sure that they all had an awesome Christmas, and that's what we're doing through the Christmas Angel Drive. Does the Christmas Angel Drive go into older age groups as well? Up to 18, I'd say 17 to 18. Mostly these will be focused on children in our foster care system in the Tampa Bay area. What is LSF? We're a statewide nonprofit. We do have some tentacles outside of that, but most of it is just across the state of Florida. We have programs in almost every major city uh, across the state of Florida in various programming that goes on, again, with a lot of impact across the state. And Tina, what are some of the things that you enjoy about being involved in a drive like this? I've had the joy of working with children in need um, all over the world. And I think we in America do a good job of not always forgetting, but hiding the need that is out there. And there really are children who are in need and who've been through a lot of trauma, unfortunately. 
And um, if I can do anything to bring them joy at Christmas time, I'm going to do it. And so that's why I'm really excited to be a part of this drive and see that happen. Tina, what are some of the types of gifts that you actually collect? We are collecting for all ages. So it could be infant, could be those little tiny teethers for infants. You know, we're thinking about foster care and what foster parents might not have when those developmental stages come up. So infants all the way up to 17, 18 years old when they are ready to become an adult. So we're taking any new gift and of course we would want to be a little bit protective of making sure they're not like water guns and things like that but other than that that is anything that would bring a child joy is what we're providing the great thing is you get to picture the kid that you would give to so if you're a grandparent or you're a parent or you just have a heart for a certain age group Mm -hmm. this gets to be your passion project you get to choose the age group you want to go toward and you get to give towards that and make somebody's christmas on your website do you give suggestions of types of gifts Yes, you can go to lsfnet.org and you can find a whole bunch of information. If you're looking for shopping lists or ideas about this, all of our information is right there on the homepage. You'll see Christmas Angels. Just click on that. It'll tell you everything you need to know. LSF, is that Lutheran Services of Florida? Yes, that's right. Lutheran Services of Florida. So what if you are not of that faith? What if you are another Christian or even non-Christian? Then that's perfect. Then like you're our target audience is what that (laughs) means. Because we do love our Lutheran roots, but we are grateful that we've been able to spread our wings outside of just one denomination and find people of faith, people outside of faith who find this to be fulfilling work and they still see the need and they want to meet those needs. So we love that we get to do that with the roots of Christianity and Lutheranism behind us, but we stand on their shoulders to be able to do even greater work at this point. Tina, what do you say to the person who is on the fence about getting involved in supporting a charity? Because there are a lot of charities out there and once they hook you, it's tough to get away, you know? (laughs) So what do you say to somebody that's on the fence on getting involved in a charity like yours? I've worked for a couple of different nonprofits, and the one thing that I will always say is I will only work for something I can truly trust. And with Lutheran Services Florida, I do truly trust what we're doing, and I see the work, and I see what's talked about behind the doors. So what I would say is you're giving gift to a child, and that can never not bring joy. If you're on the fence, bring a gift. If you trust us a little bit more and you don't have time to stop and get something, you can go on our website and make a donation We also have, like Kevin said, kind of an external website that we have selected that we trust to have a shopping list. And you can go on and you can do that. And you're going to see it on our Facebook. You're going to see what we're doing. You're going to see the shout outs. You're going to see all of that. So, you know, take a step in and see what happens. I think you're going to find some smiles happening for yourself as well. Kevin, can you talk about the need in the Tampa area? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There is great need in the Tampa area. Foster care at this point is on the rise. It's really at a level it's never been, specifically in Tampa Bay. We're seeing that just over and over again. Cases are, sometimes they're moving at 10 to 15% a year up in tick, and which is just incredible. Like that, the need is so great. And what we're finding though, is our success rate of reuniting families is fantastic. And we are so incredibly grateful for how many people we have on the ground doing the hard, hard work of reuniting families and helping adults get the care they need to be able to reunite their family and helping kids be able to have a safe place to be in the meantime. So we're so grateful for being able to put those two things together, but the need is not going down. It's not not anytime soon. And so we expect Christmas angels to continue to grow as the need grows, but we also believe that there are generous people 
who will step up all along the way and continue to be the people who provide for and help out the people in their backyard, in their own community to make sure that things like Christmas Angels and other things as well continue to be funded and these kids continue to be cared for at the same time. Yeah, foster care is a huge thing in Tampa Bay Mm -hmm. and you're really helping those foster parents because they can't possibly afford, some of them have several foster children Mm -hmm. and they can't afford things like that. There are moments where you see how difficult that is and it doesn't just come down to two people or one person who takes in kids to their home. It really relies on a community. It is the village that raises that child, right? There is more support system that needs to come alongside these families and be a part of that. So whether it's a church group, which is fantastic, I hope, as my church is and I hope many churches are, they see the foster family in their church as a ministry for the church. And so they work to support and uphold. I hope that there are churches that get involved with this to support the foster families right in their own congregation or in their own backyard as well as you know, any youth group that wants to be a part of it or any just group in a community, a Bible study, a small group, whatever it is that wants to come together and do this, I think they will be the village that helps to raise that child. I'm curious, Tina, do you have a childhood memory of like a favorite toy that you received? Absolutely. I was actually just looking at it because we're getting ready to move in a few weeks. So I was going through my things and there's a picture of my dad giving me a piano. And honestly, we were not very wealthy people. So it was a piano I think they got from free, like down the neighborhood. But to me, it was the biggest thing ever. And there's a picture of me hugging my dad. And I still remember to this day learning to play Silent Night during Christmas, on Christmas Day that day. And I still can kind of remember the tune. And I still play piano at our church sometimes. But that was a very big thing for me. And it breaks my heart that not all kids get that moment. And I just, I constantly think about when I work at this job, the generation that we're making an impact on when we can do something special for a child. Yeah, people don't realize what a single toy can do for forever for a person. And you were just saying, I have a childhood memory too of a toy. How about you, Kevin? Absolutely. Oh yeah, there are childhood memories. There's also those like traditions that get started through that, right? So there's that thing that you received and then someday you might be the one to pass it on to the next person. I know in my family, there's a joke that we have. It's not a good one, but my brother, he was older than me. He was about to get married and we went around. So it was Christmas morning. You know, we're going around the circle. It's the last present. Everybody's excited for the last present because you know, it's going to be the big one, right? (laughs) And so I have this huge box sitting under the tree and I'm like, that thing's huge. It's going to be awesome. And I open it up. It's this, it was a CD player. It was a boom box. Now this is a different era where that was like the coolest thing you could have, right? And so I open up this boom box and I remember my sister, she opens up this box and inside of it's another box, another box, another box. And finally she opens up this necklace that she'd been wanting. And it was like awesome. She was so stoked. And then we get to my brother and there's a bag under the tree because whatever he was getting was so big that he couldn't possibly have had it put in a box because it was apparently that big. And he was like, this is going to be the best present ever. He opens it up and it's just a toolbox, just like a toolbox. And my mom looks at him and says, well, if you're going to be married you might as well have a married man's toolbox. And that was it. And he was like, what am I going to do with this? Like, I don't have any tools. Like, do I just put my lunch in here? What do I do with this? But what was great was that was like such a, it was so funny to all of us to watch him get that, that now after every person got married, every Christmas, that person got the toolbox, right? You got a toolbox. That's so cool. We gave each other toolboxes. It's just funny. And it's one of those things where it creates a tradition, right? And actually now there came a point where my mother, my father died when I was pretty young. She got remarried. 
and we gave her a oh. toolbox hmm. and we put memories in it and we shared with her what that was like. It became a full circle thing. And you notice that it's not just this one time gift, but it becomes like a part of, you know, it's a huge core memory of who you are. And it becomes this tradition that now bonds a family together as crazy as that sounds. And so there's a lot of meaning behind these. That's so great. So it really is life changing for a child to receive Mm -hmm. this gift from the heart. So again, this is the LSF Christmas Angel Toy Drive. Where can we learn more information? LSFnet.org. Right there on the homepage, you'll see Christmas Angels. Just click on it. We will have ways that you can do this digitally. Mm -hmm. We'd also love for you to come do this in person with us. So we will have a drive going on at Chick-fil-A in Palm Harbor. On December 2nd, that's a Saturday, and you can come from between 10 and 2, and we will be taking donations. If you'd like to do a cash donation, you're welcome to do that. We'll do the shopping for you, but we'd really love for you to bring a toy and to donate to this drive to make a Christmas for a child. Our guests today are Kevin Stamper, the Director of Development, and Tina Villanueva, Development Outreach Specialist. And this is How We See It. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash howwesee it.